The New Frontiers in Functional Medicine podcast is proudly sponsored by Designs for Health. Designs for Health is a family-owned professional brand offered exclusively to healthcare professionals and their patients. For over 25 years, they have been the healthcare professional's trusted source for research-backed nutritional products. Their guiding philosophy, science first, is demonstrated by a commitment to research-driven products, synergistic formulations, and meaningful quantities of therapeutic ingredients. Find them at www.designsforhealth.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Um, today, I am going to be speaking with a woman who I love and adore, a teacher, a brilliant functional medicine clinician, um, Dr. Susan Bloom. So let me give you a little bit about her background. I know you're probably aware of her. She's got some great books out and is working on another one, and she's just been in our, in our space for a while, but she is a functional medicine pioneer, um, and she's nationally recognized as a speaker, author, and teacher. Um, as founder and director of Bloom Center for Health, and through her patient care, writing, research, and mentoring, she is a passionate advocate for those with chronic illness. She's also a great supporter of um, functional medicine training and, and new doctors and clinicians transitioning in. And so we're going to ping her on some of those um, questions and get some advice from her for new docs coming into functional medicine as well. Uh, Dr. Bloom is assistant clinical professor in preventative medicine at the Icon School of Medicine, Mount Sinai, and senior faculty with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. She is certified in functional medicine, author of the Immune System Recovery Program, and medical advisor for the Dr. Dr. Oz Show and the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Susan, welcome to New Frontiers. Thank you for having me, Kara. We have a I have a mutual love fest with you. You're, <laughs> my, <laughs> you're really one of my, I look at you as one of my favorite colleagues, mentors, and when I have a problem, you're my go-to. So, um, so thank you for having yes. me. And Happy we're to be here. Yeah, I'm, again, we're, I'm psyched to have you, and yeah, it's great that you're nice and close, um, in that you're in New York, and I'm at Exit One in Connecticut, as we were just talking about. So today, you know, one of your areas of focus has been on, um, you know, gut systemic uh, connection, inflammatory arthritis, you know, you've been looking at all sorts of autoimmune um, conditions, you've been looking at osteoarthritis, I mean, you've really done a nice drill down into uh, not only the literature around this, but then how you translate into clinical practice. Um, you're looking at antecedents, triggers, and mediators of inflammation. You're thinking, at, you're thinking about it at the molecular level, like oxidative stress, et cetera. And then you're thinking about you know, micro, microbial imbalances, be it the oral microbiome, the urinary tract, et cetera. So you've just done a really nice look at um, all of these various uh, moving 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 targets and how we can address them in our practice. So I want to jump in with you right now, thinking about uh, rheumatoid arthritis specifically um, and synovial hyperplasia from oxidative stress. So let's go to the, you know, the molecular level and talk to me about this whole oxidative stress mechanism driving uh, RA. Okay, I'd love to. Uh, actually, I'm, so I'm, I'm just wrapping up my next book, which is arthritis. And I, I, you know, I learned so much writing a book. That's one of the really yeah. fun things about digging in. And um, the book will be out at the end of this year in the fall. And um, 
I, I really started reading all these articles about oxidative stress in the joint, you know, in the joint capsule and the role that it plays in triggering and perpetuating the inflammatory process. And I was really fascinated because somehow I just, when I'm working with my arthritis patients, I was, I really had, was more focused on just inflammation, anti-inflammatories, you know, yeah. and fish oil, fix the gut. And I really was not focused very much on, sort of the stat oxidative stress and evaluating it and the status of the oxidative, their oxidative stress in their body uh, in general, as well as you can't really evaluate it in the joint capsule. There's research does, but you know, we can at least evaluate it systemically. And, and I added this whole dimension to my practice. And so this is one of these things that I learned and that I really want to share with people because I know as I came up through and over the years practicing functional medicine, it's not something that, was obvious or that I was doing. And so, but I'm doing now and, and it's really fascinating. So it turns out that there is a lot in rheumatoid arthritis, there is a very, very high level of reactive, they measure reactive oxygen species at the synovial surface and that they've really discovered that this is one of the foundational causes of the damage to the joint you know, to the synovial membrane, it triggers um, hyperplasia and damage in the joint capsule. And so the research has been able to look at that and say, okay, well, when there's reactive, this all this inflammatory um, activity and, and oxidative stress at the surface, can we correlate that to measuring it or is it the systemic, you know, anti-oxidative stress as well? And it turns out that there is. And the research has really connected um, lipid peroxidation, protein oxidation, DNA damage. Um, they've measured low glutathione levels, low vitamin C, like really looking at you know, levels of um, antioxidants in the body that you could measure, measures of oxidative stress, especially like lipid peroxides and f 2 yep. you know, yep. things like that, that you actually can measure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, it's just was really interesting. And in that with rheumatoid arthritis in particular, they were, studies have shown that the higher the levels of oxidative stress and the lower the levels of antioxidants, the, it was correlated with more symptomatic RA and the longer um, you know, the longer duration of their symptoms. And so it's a really important thing for us to look at and actually to treat, you know, yes. to really measure it and to, to work on treating oxidative stress. Absolutely. This is very interesting because I agree with you. We get, you know, the, the inflammation is driving the oxidative stress. And we really, I think drilling down to this molecular level is incredibly important. And of course, we've got a rich toolkit for addressing oxidative stress that we'll talk about in a, in a second. Um, but of this, course, we do have to look below that and say, yeah. you know, in functional medicine, yes. it, we always say, well, why is there oxygen? Like, where did that come yes. from? And where did that come from? Yep. Yep. And how did that get here? And so there's always drilling down to try to figuring out, okay, that's fine. Yes. Oxidative stress, but how did that start? Like, where did that? Come? I know, but wait a second. You're yeah. Sorry, <laughs> getting ahead of myself. Wait a second. <laughs> We're gonna go there for sure. We want to. Okay. We want to gather in our arms all of those antecedent factors. What prompts the oxidative stress? Yeah, we have to answer that. You can't just quench somebody with antioxidants. Um, and expect good outcome. We have to get to those original antecedent factors. So we're going to circle back there. Um, but I want so we so but one of the fundamental molecular mediators, you know, perpetuating the damage in arthritis is this increased oxidative stress yes. it's happening locally at the level of the synovium, and then it's also happening systemically. And as you say, there's evidence where we can see a decrease in um, 
various antioxidants and a corresponding increase in oxidative markers. Um, yeah, which, which it, is a compelling way that we can follow and track yes. what people are doing. Right? Yes. So yes. Yeah, so this is where we're going to go. What are you? I mean, what are your go-to laboratories for monitoring? I mean, are are you looking at F2 isoprostanes, lipid peroxides? You know, well, actually, yeah. I I I'm in the middle of trying to find where to get F2 isoprostane covered by insurance. Um, mm. But but so I haven't been using that yet. But sort of that's one of my next go-tos that I'm going to try to bring into the practice. Um, what, um, what I am using is, I mean, I use the convention. I use, I do a lot of NutriVal tests with Genova. Yes. And so I do their whole, you know, oxidative stress panel. So it's glutathione, lipid peroxides, um, uh, the, uh, right. And HDG. And so I just, I do those three basically. Um, and, but, you know, in terms of validator or looking at the studies, lipid peroxide is a pretty good, uh, val you know, it's, it's, it's in the studies, uh, yep. in the early studies as, as being shown to be a good valid uh, marker to follow. So, um, so I do, so I definitely follow that, you know, and I look at, um, I look at oxidative and I follow them. And, um, you know, uh, in addition to working, like was talking about with making sure they have enough antioxidants on board, you know, working on looking for those antecedents for why they have oxidative stress and working on that, which most of the time it's in the gut, you know, which is where you yep. know our discussion is going to end up taking us. That's right. Um, yeah. A foreshadowing of events or, to come. Or oral, or oral microbiome, you know. Yes, which, which I is know. An important thing to talk about too, which is another huge thing that I really learned <laughs> writing the book. <laughs> All right, give me a second. We're going to talk right, about and it. Want, and before we yes. move there about yes. about antioxidants, because the book is very inclusive, so I really did a, a deep dive into osteoarthritis as well, right? So this is this is what, so there's two like you can think of. Well, really, there's more than two categories of arthritis, right? So mm -hmm. there's inflammatory arthritis, which is um, rheumatoid, you know, the autoimmune ones like rheumatoid ankylosing, spond the spondyloarthritis is like rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis. Yes. Um, but there's also arthritis from rheumatic disease, right? Which is, you know, lupus and Sjogren's and things like that. And then there's, um, so those are sort of the autoimmune inflammatory arthritis. And then there's also a whole category of undifferentiated early RA, like those people with no markers, but it's inflammatory and we don't know what it is yet. You yes. know, yep. those early people. And that's all like the inflammatory arthritis. And then yep. there's osteoarthritis as another whole group. And then there's the whole group of infectious disease, you know, like, oh, Lyme, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also there's uric acid and gout and which is gout is, t I guess, theoretically an inflammatory arthritis. But, um, but yeah, so as we're looking at categories, I think today, like, well, there is oxidative stress in osteoarthritis as well. And there's good to look at that too. So I just Perfect. want to point that out. Yeah. Thank you. That's incredibly. So, you know, your book is going to be a treasure trove, give, just given what you've thrown out there in one really long sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is going to be very useful. It's incredibly important. And the way that you're going to address all of these, even if they have, even if they have shared molecular underpinnings in the form of oxidative stress, you're still going to be coming at them. You're going to be coming from, really? you're going to be addressing gout differently than osteoarthritis yeah. or, right. you know, um, the rheumatic arthritis is okay. so or inf or infectious um listen just give me give me the just a high level view on um osteoarthritis just some of the just some of the mechanisms there yeah well i this is another really i gosh i i osteoarthritis what i learned and what i come to really understand is that osteoarthritis is a metabolic disease it is driven the number one cause 
as we know, is obesity, right? But it turns out that it's not because you weigh too much and your knees hurt because of the, you know, the body weight that's on the knees, you know, just from torque, you know, and, str- yes. and weight. It turns out that it's because of um, metabolic syndrome, inflammatory fat, that, wow. right? And um, turn that off. Sorry. So um, the, it's the inflammatory fat and it's leptin. Right. And so that that people with inflammatory fat, um, which is the visceral adipose tissue, that are, that's what's driving the inflammation from metabolic syndrome is, is what's driving the inflammation in the joints. And um, and so people that lose weight, they do better, but it's more because their body fat goes down. Right. And the inflammation goes down. So it's really meta- it's really a metabolic disease that's tied with sort of the diabetes, the metabolic obesity. Um, so it's really a metabolic disease of the bone, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when you help people lose weight, it's really it's really looking at um, body composition. It's really looking at the uh, abdominal, you know, yes. the abdominal obesity. That's the problem with osteoarthritis. And so we, when we work on helping people. Um, you know, it's, and coming back to the gut, you know, there's always a gut connection somewhere. It always yes. seems, um, yeah. because we know that, um, obesity is associated with a different pattern of gut flora as well. Mm-hmm. And so there is still, there's still a component of healing the gut that needs to happen with people with, you know, too much visceral adipose to, you know, the VAT people, um, yes. but, and the metabolic syndrome people, but, um, there's, is, but it's a lot of, dri- but a lot of the drive, um, even if there's injury and, you know, predisposing people, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, the number one is um, abdominal obesity. Mm. That's you such know? a great, that's such a great pearl and a really terrific finding in your, um, in yeah. your efforts. You know, and it also shows you that you don't give up. Like I used to think, okay, you have, you know, osteoarthritis. Right. But it goes to show you, and what I've learned working with people with osteoarthritis is that you clean up their diet. You put them on an anti-inflammatory diet. They ha- you reduce sort of their inflammatory markers in that way. Yes. You bring down the A1C and you bring down, um, you know, their sort of glucose insulin stabilizes a little bit and, um, and they lose a little weight and they feel, and they, their joints feel better, you yes. know? And so, and I think that's why. I think it's a whole glucose metabolic syndrome, you know, sensitivity piece. And, and, and so you, the inflammatory work that the anti-inflammatory work that you do sort of comes in that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in the, in the approaches. I can see, you know, there is some distinguishing features, but you know, the, there's a Venn diagram with all of these. Um, Oh yeah. All right. So, so you're just give me a, give me an overview on how your, um, you know, and how you're thinking about, uh, actually, you know what, let's talk, uh, let me see, before, I want to, I want to go over to the gut microbiome here, or just the microbiome in generally, but but just analyzing environmental triggers um, in, really in any arthritis, um, understanding that there's that oxidative stress underpinning, what are you looking for? Well, the first thing that I look for is, you know, dysbiosis in the gut. It's been extensively studied in RA, um, really. And it's so fascinating that, re- that um, like, really well studied and studied looking at different patterns of the gut flora. Um, there's, uh, and, and a lot of the studies, what they're showing, which I thought was so interesting. I mean, look, I've been doing stool tests forever. You yeah, know, right. I think I probably do thousands a year or something ridiculous at Blum Center for Health because there's five of us practicing medicine there. So we're doing stool tests. And, um, 
And so what studies have shown is that the increased intestinal permeability, which we all know about leaky gut and the association with autoimmune disease, but what actually happens? And that it, it appears that bacterial cell wall components yes. um, from the gut end up in the bloodstream. And studies have shown that there's cell wall components both in the bloodstream, there's cell wall components that have been found in the joints. Mm-hmm. Okay, and studies have shown that there's destruction, that if you use a model system like in mice and you give them bacterial cell wall protein, the bacterial cell wall um, components, um, and you, you, you give them to them, you intravenously give them in the blood, they end yes. up in the joints and destroy them, uh, in, the, in the joints, and they destroy the joints themselves, and they end up sort of mimicking rheumatoid arthritis. And so we know that bacterial cell walls are impo- uh, components are important. And so in RA patients, really, um, really good research showing that RA patients have an immune response against the bacterial cell wall components, and it's of many bacteria. And, and mm. what's, what I learned, which is so great, right? So we know Proteus. There's been studies about Proteus floating around for a long time. Yes. Um, Proteus is an enterobacteria, right, as, a, as its phyla. You know, enterobacteriaceae, or however you pronounce, you pronounce things differently than me because I'm a little <laughs> girl. So, um, but so Proteus is one of those, and and um, RA patients specifically, the studies have shown back response against many different enterobacteria mm-hmm. like Klebsiella, Citrobacter, Proteus. Those are all enterobacteria, and you know, and enterobacteria, and um, you know, we culture those all the time. I see Klebsiella citrobacter all the time in the cultures of, of people in the stool tests that I'm doing, and I always wonder yes. what role that's having, and um, you know, Klebsiella in particular, you know, has been, I mean, the studies have shown that, you know, Klebsiella has been, so is with ankylosing spondylitis and uveitis, is they're good studies, stool, that fecal, you know, yep. Klebsiella is associated with that, and so, so lots of really good studies on, um, on bacteria. And so, um, you know, we also could, you know, get excited and try to figure out, and a lot of the studies have been doing that, trying to figure out, is there a specific bacteria that we could say, this is the RA bacteria? Right. And I think there's been, you and I were joking about this before we got on, about the whole Proteus Mirabilis, because the urinary tract, you know, there's, a, there's always been research pointing about urinary tract proteus. Mm-hmm. There's definitely studies that appear to, um, that would proteus in the gut also mm-hmm. seems to be involved. And, and it appears to have the ability to actually initiate autoimmune events, you know, in people with RA. Yes. Uh, and studies have shown that if you lower proteus antibodies, and there was a great study that was done um, in 2015. Let's see, it's... Um, uh, well, I don't want to say the name Koch et al. And al, you know, C-O-C-K is the lead researcher. Uh-huh. But the study was done um, looking at using herbs to reduce, to treat the gut. And they correlated lowering Proteus antibodies wow. with a reduction in symptoms. Now, you know, I, I'm also a believer, you know, I, I actually try to resist the re, like a reductionist model where we're just going after one bug yes. because, because we, there's so, you know, you, you and I both know there's so much we don't know. Yes. And, and we've been, you, we've had great conversations about what stool tests and the, you know, metabolome versus the microbiome and, you know, what, yes. what do we really want to measure and which bugs are actually active versus the PCR DNA and, you know, yes. there's so much we don't know. And, but I think that we can all agree. And this is really, you know, I'm really, I have to say my favorite thing these days is bring the sanity back. 
you know. (laughs) (laughs) You've been doing that too. You've been doing a good job. I'm trying to. I'm like, got this like thing about bring the sanity back. Bring bring the sanity back about food. You know, bring it back about you know how we treating the gut. Yes. And um, and I think that the nice thing about what you and I do using herbs instead of one drug, one bug. Yes. Is herbs are broad spectrum. Right. You know, they they are they 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 prune. You know, they prune the gut. They they reduce overgrowth of populations of bacteria. And um and when you use herbs, you know, I'm sure in this study they can't say they only reduce proteus. Right. You know, they reduced other bacteria as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, they're broad spectrum. Do you know what first of all, folks, I will absolutely have the citation posted on the on Susan's page and um it, along with how you can reach out to her and, and, and yes. all of I'll, that. I'll, just... send, I'll send you the link to that. I'll okay. What yeah. what do you know what the botanicals were they used in this twenty seventeen stu- or fifteen study? Um it was it was interesting i didn't really it was the um the study the name of it is called the potential of selected australian medicinal plants with oh. proteus activity for the treatment and prevention of rheumatoid arthritis and it was a pharmacognosy magazine sorry i can't pronounce okay. that but um but it was um so you know it was australian medicinal plants so i didn't really yes um, but i have to go back and read what i wrote about it um but what i but what i was impressed with was the herbs they used, they demonstrated lowered the protease antibodies. Yeah. And, and they also, um, so I can look at that and we can post something afterwards. And yep. see if we can, yep. can, yeah, if we can nail down, that. Yeah. if we can nail about down the botanicals, that would be interesting. Yes, um, but you, some of them weren't familiar to me. I think that's why it's not off the top of my head. Yes. But, but I think it does, even, even so, I think it's, it's um, a reinforcement that herbs work, all different kinds of herbs. And yes. And they demonstrated the effectiveness of the herbs because they had a before and after change, right, in the in the antibodies for the proteus and um, and yeah. So I think it just points to the fact that we need to treat the gut, mm-hmm. and that there are various kinds of bacteria that are associated. So so what? So if we talk about proteus, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones that um, that really have been associated too is Prevotella. Right. right. So Prevotella copri, there's been many studies on Prevotella. And, you know, when we do our stool testing, you know, um, and so that brings us to how do we measure these things or can we? Um, some of the studies just, um, you know, some of the studies just link um, groupings like sp- the general phyla, you mm-hmm. know. So, for example, another art, you know, study I'm happy to put up for people is the intestinal microbiome and spondyloarthritis. And this is a, a, a Tej, uh, um, Tej Pal is the name of the, the um, author. And um, this one just, they just looked at bacterioidal species, right? Mm-hmm. And associated with arthritis, not really drilling down to the subspecies, right? Yep. And Prevotella is within the phylum of back. I know we pronounce this differently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to say it. I know, I'm sorry. It's different. It's okay. But like, there's a great review article and it looked at bacterioidetes. It looked at Klebsiella. It looked at, um, it looked at Prevotella copri um, and, uh, and all different Prevotella species. And so as a whole, I really look at, when I look at like the PCR stool tests, I look at, you know, at first I didn't really understand what to make of, you know, the GI um, effects, um, from Genova, which is limited really. And you know what you can deduce from it. We all know we wish we had more information about the metabolome, right? Like how much 
uh, instead of just these could be all dead bacteria, right? Uh, are they, what are they doing, right? But um, I've come to really appreciate this um, Firmicutes bacterioides ratio. Yes. Mm -hmm. In this context, because it really looks like the inflammatory arthritis or like the inflammatory pattern and the bacteria that are the most associated with inflammatory arthritis are in that whole first, you know, phylum, the bacterioides. Yep. Okay, good. So when you're in, and we're talking about Genova's GIFX test, and that's, yes. this is the second page. This is all the predominant microflora. So you're doing an interpretation. You're first of all, looking at um, the bacteroidetes species, uh, phyla being elevated. So yes. you're looking at that. And then are you, and then are you, you're looking at specific genus genuses within the bacteroidetes, yeah. like you're flagged on Prevotella. I'm and, definitely flagged on Prevotella. Yep. And, um, and then, well, you know, the, the, they don't really do a good job of breaking out the bacterioides, you know, at all. So you don't right. really, they just sort of have bacterioides Prevotella as a group. And then they have, you know, one bacterioides they break out, which I haven't really found that that particular one, other than that it's associated with higher amounts of animal fat in the diet, you know, is, um, makes that much of a, um, you know, is meaningful. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the simplest way to look at it and actually, I really tended to, um, I'm now because of what I've learned, I do look at that hope, the PCR, well, there's a few things I sort of flag out for myself, but from, a, from an inflammatory arthritis perspective, part of the question is, when do you know that you're done? You know, when do you know that you've done enough gut treatment and that you can stop, you know, treating with herbs or if they have SIBO treating, even for SIBO treating with rifaximin or however you choose to treat uh -huh. a dysbiosis. But, you know, you treat, you treat, you treat. And usually for rheumatoid arthritis, I do two months of gut treatment like right off the bat with herbs. Okay. And, um, and we can talk about my favorite. Yes, and all absolutely. That. Um, yep. but, um, but I do two months right off the bat and you need some way to follow this. And actually I did a, um, not that I'm pitching Genova or anything, but I did do a webinar for them like a month ago. So it should be on their website. And I did a sequential stool testing in inflammatory arthritis um, talk for them. And I wow. sort of showed how I use stool testing to, manage people in the, you know, over time. And I showed sequential stool testing. And so one of the things that I think that I have come around to, to use this one page for is if it's still, if it looks like you have a straight, like high across the wall where that, that ratio, the Firmicutes bacterioides ratio mm -hmm. is like two or four, you know, and you have just a lot and you can see it's still really high Prevotella, really high bacterioides. I might feel like I'm not done. Mm -hmm. you know, and I might feel like they need another round of herbs or maybe we, you know, we pause for a little bit and then we, um, we, re we, we, you know, retreat. But in my mind, I feel like I might not, we might not be done because it's just an imbalance towards an inflammatory pattern, you know, this sort of enterotype, so to speak. If yes. you want to talk about what it, enterotypes at all. I don't know. So, so you're taught, so there's a, so folks, if you're not familiar with the GI FX, I think most of you are, but you can certainly download a, a sample test report and look at this page um, that Dr. Blum was referring to. Um, you can see the bacteroidetes phylum right at the top and she's, you know, she's seeing this sort of big right shift. Every, all the, those markers are, yeah. a number of those markers are very high. And then conversely, the Firmicutes just below it. Um, that group of microbes tend to be low. And at the very bottom of that page, there's the Firmicutes-Bacteroidetes ratio. And that's down to, you're looking at it 
you know, two to two to four. Well, is, these really low numbers. Yes, very low. Time, you know, very yep. low numbers. Okay. But I, but I do want to correct one thing you said is that sometimes Femicides isn't low. Sometimes those are sort of high. So sometimes you have yes, that's right. High, right? You've yep. seen that. Yep. And so it's just that the bacterioides are higher, yep. you know, or that yep. they're still really high, you know, and yep. Got it. you see this and it looks like this, just everything's high. Yep. I'm, okay. And, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's just, and, and then they, they, I, you know, I think that just does signify you need a good, they need a, definitely need a pruning of some sort. Yep. Yep. And there are some people who are just very biased to that pro-inflammatory pattern. And so, you know, you treat yes. for a while and then you do your follow-up testing and they're still elevated and you go back in. So do you do your follow-up stool test to after two months? Yeah, well, I wait. So I do two months of treatment, yep. pause for a month, and then I send out another stool test. So it'll end up being, and so they'll send out the stool test at three months, and then I'll see see them. I'll review it with them at four months. You know, okay. just in terms of testing. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's um, very I, useful. Yeah. I always like to wait. I always like to wait. You know, and not test immediately when you finish the herbs because you. Sort of, I sort of want to see what kind of homeostasis the gut comes back into. And you concurrently, obviously, you're not isolating treatment or limiting it to just the um, altering the microbiome using herbs or antibiotics. You're also, obviously, you've got diet going, you've got appropriate yes. supplements at that time. So you've got the full approach. Yeah, the full approach. And, and, and also, so two things I just want to remind, remember to point out. Mm-hmm. One is, even though we're telling everybody about, do, you know, the, um, this, to the, but the stool test can show them. You, you, you know, theoretically, you don't need a stool test to treat someone's gut with rheumatoid arthritis. Right. We know from the studies, they, they, they have dysbiosis. You know, yes. these, these are the trends. These are, these are what the studies show us. They've got, there's a, as a whole, statistically significant alteration yes. in the microbiome in these directions. And so, you know, I find stool testing useful so you can track and sort of know when you're done. I think we, there's a lot of we don't always talk about long-term treatment, which is really what I wanted to focus on in my new book, which is also a lot of patient stories. I have like 11 stories of different cases, you know, mm-hmm. I, because people, it's another thing that I have a bug about, which is, you know, let's bring the sanity back to long-term. Like you would just not fixers, you know, we can't just quick fix people. This is a long-term thing, which brings me then to diet, which you brought, just brought up. And food is critical. The number one most important factor that determines your gut microbiome is what you're eating. Yes. Number one biggest influence. And as a whole, um, when you look at the kind of bacteria, animal food promotes more bacterioides and, and fiber and, you know, eating a lot more fiber and vegetables and, um, you know, plants that increases the famicides, which includes lactobacillus, you know, uh, fecal Bacterium prisnutsi, which is thought to be a good bacteria, you know, and a lot of good, um, uh, you know, butyrate and short chain fatty acid producing bacteria. So, um, so what you eat really, really matters. Yes, that's great. It yeah. is. You know, when I was in the lab back when, um, you know, it was Metametrics, and we were actually we were the lab that launched this test. We could, we we were the first lab to bring DNA microbial analysis to the clinical laboratory setting. It was pretty exciting. Cool. And we were, I know, I know we were, it, we were it, but we were, you know, burning the midnight oil, analyzing what all these, what all these organisms meant. Like, what are they, you know, what, what diseases? So you know they? better than me. You should be giving this, you should be. <laughs> no, no, 
no, no, no. You're doing, I just really appreciate the amount of energy and time you've put into this. Um, and the, it, you know, when the research evolves, it's been, it's been a while that I was sitting in the trenches doing that. But one of the, um, the big aha moment for me, just like what you're saying was, you know, I thought when I was doing this, I was like, we're going to find really precision treatment interventions. We're going to, you know, know which um, pharmaceuticals, botanicals to use, et cetera. We're going to just really be able to get in there and sort of manipulate it in this really kind of controlled way. That's what I was hoping for, which is terrible, I think, as a naturopath that I'd want to be so controlling about it, but um, instead of big picture. But, um, but really, after very exhaustive literature searches, we all concluded that it was, at, without question, it was diet that was the major player. And so it, it's, it's just this interesting paradox. The more precise we're able to evaluate, you know, looking at the microbiome, looking at the epigenome, the genome, the metabolome, et cetera, et cetera, the more precise we get into diagnostics, we really go way upstream. And it again reflects, wow, you know, diet's the big leverage point here. Right. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, yeah, so I just want to yeah. underscore that. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'll use myself as an example for a second, because I don't want all, I think that I we also have to qualify that by saying that diet alone won't necessarily change this pattern yeah. if okay. you already have it, you know, or if something else triggered it, you know, so um, a couple of years ago, I, I got sort of one of my joints got I got this episcleritis. It was after a period of a lot, a lot of stress. You know, one of my kids had a head injury and it was a terrible time. And, um, and I got this inflammation in my eye and like one of my joints was like a little inflamed and bugging me. And I thought, oh my God, like I have arthritis. And actually part of that is what inspired me to dig into arthritis. And that's my second book, right? Mm -hmm. But the, um, but, you know, I did my stool test and I'm a vegetarian. Mm. I mean, I don't eat animal. I mean, I eat, I eat fish once or twice a week, but I really, I don't eat dairy. I don't eat red meat. I eat like maybe ch now I eat chicken maybe once a week, but for t like t five, 10 years, I wasn't even eating chicken. And so um, I was completely overwhelmed with bacterioides and, and as compared to formicides. And so diet alone wow. necessarily, you know, do that. And uh, so there was a different reason. It was, you know, so diet can't, so you'd think I should just yes. great. And so there's something else, you know, yes. pushing the microbiome, which of course stress is, is huge in terms yes. of as well. And that stress I would say is number two. And I think stress is the number, re number one reason why my arthritis people relapse. Um, you know, uh, the inflammatory people relapse because stress and acute trauma or traumatic things, someone dies, someone, yes. you know, all of a sudden the um, microbiome is, is, completely sort of out of balance again and the dysbiosis is back and and then the inflammation's back and so helping your people helping yourself and helping your people have some sort of a um uh practice every day where they bring find balance you know yes. whatever that means um it really you need to put a sort of a little protective bubble around yourself to protect that keep from that stress from coming in and and sort of altering your microbiome again so i think um you know, stress drives uh, the bacteria in a different way. That's, yeah. that's just really, I've certainly seen that in my own um, practice. And yeah. yeah, that's just a beautiful 
point to hit home. So yeah. we are, and, and, okay. And so, and, and the microbiome can become refractory to some of the very upstream interventions like diet and lifestyle. And we do right. have to get in Doing there. Diet, but it's not yeah. you know, changing things. And, and then this, then I know we we're going to run out of time. But there's so much we want to talk about. And I just want to do <laughs> mention one thing that I found really interesting, really interesting is this whole discussion now about this, there's something called enterotypes. Yeah. And um, an enterotype is like your yeah. body type. You yeah. know, it's, it's like this is the pattern of the flora that your whole family has that you were born with. And yeah. it's sort of like your body type. And despite your best efforts, your body wants to always revert back to that enterotype. And so it does make you wonder, can we ever really overcome, you know, the pull towards your enterotype? And the three main enterotypes that there are right now, that at least defined in the literature as of this moment that I mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. about is there's a bacterioides, bacterioides, Prevotella, and Ruminococcus. Now, Ruminococcus is a Firmicutes, right? So that's, um, that's a, more of a Firmicutes. But the Bacterioides and Prevotella, which also does speak to the fact that within the Bacterioides, those two Bacterioides and Prevotella are really, we shouldn't lump them together, right? Because there are two distinct sort of um, groupings, enterotypes right. that fall under those categories. And so, you know, I just figure I must have one of those enterotypes, you know, that my body wants to keep pulling me back to when, when, when I get out of balance, I go back to like an original enterotype, you know, perhaps, I don't well, know. Is there, I, don't, I don't know that I mean, we know. What, yeah, that's right. This, this is just, this is continues to be very, very much emerging and yeah. there are many variables that impact it. I mean, when you look at the whole obesity, um, microbiome association. Of course, it's there. It's strong. It's growing. And, you know, the research is mixed. I mean, we're still figuring it out. So, um, but did you, I mean, in your review of the, of the literature, are there, is there any enterotype that appears to be more closely associated, associated with, um, you know, problems with chronic disease? Does the, is the bacteroidetes enterotype you know? Not necessarily. Okay. We really didn't, right. We really didn't discuss it in that way because yeah. really bacteroides and Prevotella are good. They're considered they're essential. Yeah, they're part of the yeah. predominant, right? Yeah, they're part of the predominant. And so it's just a question of, so I think it's okay to have an enterotype where that's your sort of dominant, you know, bacteria. But I think there must just be a threshold where you it crosses over and you get, it ends up, you have just too many. Right. That's and, right. Um, okay. and it's, it becomes just, um, uh, really an imbalance, yep. a, true, a true imbalance. Um, and so perhaps the people with, uh, so I don't know, we're really trying, this is, it's just, you know, it's like the wild west. We're really in the, yep. in the trying to sort this out. And so I don't really know quite what it means. What would, when I read about enterotypes or the way I just bring it into my own framework is I think, okay, well that explains why it's just so, bu- so hard to help shift people's microbiomes. It's it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime commitment. And, and yeah. it's not just, as you pointed out, making sure you're eating a super clean, pristine right. diet. It's all the other variables. It's and, all the other variables. Yeah. And so it says enterotype, when you read about it, enterotype's driven by long-term you know, diet and lifestyle. Okay. And so it is a lifelong thing. So that's why you can't just do a 21-day detox or a 30-day gut reboot and go back to your old ways because your, your flora and your, you'll pull back to your you know, the old enterotype. Um, listen, I just want to circle back to, well, first of all, I want to get your opinion on probiotics in a second. I'll just, let me throw that out yeah. there. Um, but oh, leaky gut. So of course, leaky gut's fundamental. We're thinking about it all the time in, 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 in arthritis, 
not just inflammatory, but all yes. forms of arthritis. But yeah. are you diagnosing? Disease, yeah. I mean, are you diagnosing it? And if so, um, am I using testing you, for it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, not no. Diagnosing. I don't do any yeah. testing for leaky gut. Okay. All right. You just assume it's there. If person oh, presents I, I, with, yeah. Okay. I, just, I just assume it's there. I mean, look, it might be helpful. I mean, I just. No, I'm with you. I'm not testing for it either because yeah. we know that it's a piece of the puzzle. Like it's just been so strongly established. I don't know that it's another right. test that we need to do. Right. But it is. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So then. Um, I, I do think that like a surrogate test that I'll do sometimes that gives me an indication of how leaky the gut is, is the IgG food sensitivity. Yes. Okay. I'm with you. I'm doing the same that thing. That would you too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do that as my surrogate. You know, yep. if you do that test and it's lit up like Christmas. Yep. yep. Sometimes, you know, and I think there's a place for zonulin and I do look at zonulin sometimes, but I really just assume, you know, as yeah. far as the testing dollars go, I think it's right. Get a stool exactly. Test. That's what I think. Um, are you now in terms of the cell wall um, displacement and, um, you know, the translocation of, the I don't know how to measure that. Do you know how to measure that? Well, Dunwoody does offer an LPS. And so yeah, I would, that would be a great test. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you can, Dunwoody does a handful of them. They do, they do um, F2 isoprostane, which yep. is that oxidative. I, I keep having them on my list to call and set that up. Yeah. Yep. yep. So they do a handful of these things. Okay. So let's move Those are the on. good tests. I'm, I'm, I thumbs up on that. So, <laughs> so, 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 no, really, thank you. It's a good reminder. I'm always tracing these things and then they don't get, they don't always all get done. I know. Um, um, probiotics. We get so, probiotics. Probiotics and herbs. So my favorite herbs that I use, the ones that I currently use, and I tend to rotate a little bit, but I really like GI Microbex from Designs for Health. Uh-huh. Um, Which I is a botanical it's, combination. It's actually very broad spectrum. It's, it's Right. It's um, black walnut. It's artemisia. It's um, uva ursi. It's berberine. You know, so it's, it's like a broad spectrum. Um, so I use that and I, I combine that with oregano a lot, you know, some sort of aromatic oil. What, what brand are you using for your oregano? You know what? I either use biotics, the ADP, the, um, yep. Yep. but some people, those are those round big tablets that sometimes people choke down. So sometimes in my um, packets, I have these custom packets that I make. I just use the designs for health, little oregano gel caps, gel little things, which are really easy to swallow. And um, I think aromatics are really a great, um, especially if there's any kind of candida or yeast, I try to throw in some, some of that. The other aromatic combination, you know, aromatic oil kind of combo I like is biocidin. Yes. And, and I'll, do you use that sometimes? I sure do. Yeah. yeah. I actually, everything you're outlining, I'm, I'm using. Yeah. Um, and, so the biocidin is really nice. I think it might not be enough by itself, but coupled right. with, a, with a, I call it like the green herbs and then the oily, you know, the oils. Um, I think when somebody has a lot of dysbiosis, it's, it's nice to combine those two. The other, the other product that I'm, I just discovered that I really like is from Apex Energetics, which is the um, GI Synergy packets. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're little packets, and there's three pills in each one, and it's just got it's got a lot of great candida stuff in there, like, um, um, Lorisodin. Thank you. You know, those, yep. uh, and, um, <laughs> okay, it'll come to me, but it's got some good candida stuff in there. And, um, uh, the, as well as just all different herbs and, 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 and it's just, I think it's nice to change things up. So I use that sometimes 
And I use, sometimes I use Candybactin from Metagenics when I just need berberine. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes people, if they have black walnut or walnut allergy, you can't use any of the other stuff because everything is black walnut in it. So well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just, we don't have that much more time and yeah. I want to, so, um, and right. probiotics are really important. They did. There's a lot, a lot of studies on probiotics. You know, people okay. like, probiotics work. Give, give me your short list on what you're doing with probiotics because we have to have time to talk about the oral microbiome. Yeah, it, okay. And then I want to ask you about, you know, okay. beta nucleation. Well, um, so, yes, no problem. Um, short list on probiotics is that there's some really important probiotics that um, have been shown to, they've done a, a lot of studies on just treating RA patients with probiotics and they get better. Mm. And um, lactobacillus casei is one of them that's like very well studied and has the best, you know, lower CRP, increase, you know, improved symptoms. A lot of the lactobacilli, like rhamnosis and ruteri, you know, improvement in symptoms. And so I tend to go with, and so I do believe that people need probiotics um, because they, they actually help symptoms in the research. So um, I tend to use Claire's products, uh, Therbiotic Complete. It covers everything. Yep. It has all those, you know, I may, I, you want to make sure it has KCI and make sure it has um, those several different uh, lactobacillus species. Um, and bifidus, you know, it really, um, uh, yeah. So I tend to go broad spectrum rather than okay. just using one. I think that's the simple on the probiotics. And I tend to give them while I'm treating, I give it to them at bedtime while they're, um, taking the herbs during the day. Now, let's talk about the oral microbiome. This yep. is a major piece of focus, and I know that you're addressing it and referring to, you know, appropriate. So, so let me help you very yeah. quickly. With this yeah, yeah, bang it out. Yeah, I'm going to bang it out. So <laughs> fascinating, fascinating that when you check your patients, with your rheumatoid arthritis patients, and you check this CCP antibody, the mm -hmm. citrulline peptide um, antibody, what's happening is um, that antibody in particular is associated with bacteria from the mouth that are translocating into the body and causing they, these bacteria, Porphyromonas gingivalis especially, yeah. um, but there are other ones as well. And I think it's Prevotella copri in the, or my intermedia is the one in the mouth, but there's other, there's other citrullinating, you know, yes. bacteria in the mouth. And what they do is they secrete enzymes mm -hmm. that causes citrullination of your proteins that then causes an immune response against the citrullinated protein. And that immune response is, are the CCP antibodies. And so when you see somebody take home is you, you do your rheumatoid arthritis testing, you always check um, CCP antibodies. It's CCP antibodies are the most consistently associated with disease activity and remission. If somebody still has high CCP antibodies, they could symptomatically, even if they're on meds and they come see you and they're seeing a rheumatologist, oh, I'm fine, I'm in remission, but their CCP antibodies are still up. They're not in remission. It's the number one way to predict relapse. And so CCP antibodies, you, in your mind, you have to think, you know, treat the mouth. What's going on in the mouth? Are there bacteria coming from the mouth? And so what I do is I send them to a periodontist for an evaluation. And some of them, half the time, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm seeing a periodontist. I have pockets. I mean, they'll tell you they already have stuff going on. Yes. Um, so you, you send them to the periodontist. There's a test that I've been doing called My Periopath. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and you can actually do a swab and look at the microbiome of the mouth. And it's been very helpful. You know, I've been using that and, and treating people and following them. My own personal treatment that I, what I tell people to do um, 
you know, in addition to flossing and everything everyone else tells you is see the periodontist and do whatever they tell you short of antibiotics, right? So we want to avoid antibiotics. Um, I have people do both a mouth rinse every day. Um, there's some good herbal stuff out there. So on Amazon, you could find like Herb Farm makes oral health herbal yep. mouthwash. Um, and it's just like you swish it for 60 seconds and spit it out kind of thing. But I also send people to get a water pick. Yes, absolutely. I send them to get a water pick and you can get like an oral cleaning, like a concentrate. You can do just good old hydrogen peroxide, you know, put yep. it in like a, um, but you can also do like, I, I found something called nature's answer, perio cleanse oral yep. concentrate. You put two pumps in the water reservoir and you can do that twice a day. You know, um, or you, even if they just do it once a day and do the mouthwash rinse once a day, but you have to get people on an oral care program. Are you giving them, um, are you, are, are you having them chew on an oral probiotic? I know there's some of those out. That's a great idea. I actually have not. I had one person, I've only tried that with one of my patients so far and it was, she just had a lot of, she actually had bleeding, she had a lot of bleeding in her mouth it was the reason she came to see me because she had this bleeding issue. Uh -huh. um, but, um, it didn't help her, but that's just an N of one. I have not consistently used, do you want to share some information you have on that? Because I'd be happy to try that. Well, I think Designs for Health has an oral. They do, yeah. Probiotic. I have not been using it because, either as, as consistently, but I do think, you know, you could just have them throw some of their therabiotic complete powder into the reservoir of the water pick. Oh, um, that's a good idea. Yeah, you could do it easily. Okay. You have to alternate with the herbs, right? Because you can't do or, that at the same moment you throw the herbs in because they're antibacterial. Right. That's right. Or you could have them just do a, a nice, really, you know, Wish a nice, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so this is fabulous. It's been such, such great information. Thank you so much. And then just give me a couple of words. Now, I turn to you a lot for my business questions because you've done such an amazing job at your clinic and beyond. Um, and there's a lot of, of clinicians transitioning into our field, as you know. Um, and a lot, you know, we've got a nice bunch of people listening to this podcast. And, you know, what do you say to these folks kind of making the journey into? into practicing this oh, medicine? Anyway. Well, well, the first thing is to, you know, have patience and um, patience as in be patient. Um, and um, one of the things I could just popping in my head as you're asking me this, I think the best advice I could ever give anybody is my motto has been that a successful practice is one that has successful patients. If your patients are successful, you're going to have no problem growing your practice because they're going to keep coming. They're going to send everybody they know. Word of mouth will spread. You'll be, you know, you'll, and your practice will grow. And so for me, what's been critical was to figure out what needs to happen both administratively and clinically at my center. What, what do I need to provide people in order for them to be successful? And that always comes out to a lot of support with like, how do I do the kits and what, yes. you know, like that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of just um, patient coordinating support, as well as a lot of like, in a way, coaching support, like, you know, how do I implement this food plan? You know, how do I stay on track? And so really having really good nutrition support, because we do nutritional medicine, it's what we all do. Mm -hmm. And um, so really building a team that helps assure the success of your patients. And so for anybody out there, I think you just have to really formulate for yourself what it, how you're going to help your people be the most successful. And so for me, I have like a kitchen and I have free pantry makeover class. I mean, I just built a lot of 
brought on a team. I always thought about it like that. I want to grow sideways. I want to bring a team together that will assure that the person from the moment they call to the moment they, they are, you know, walk out our door and work on them, their program, that they have all the support they need to be successful. Because if you're just by yourself and somebody comes in and you give them this whole long to-do list, yes. they're not necessarily going to be successful. We really practice lifestyle medicine and we really practice behavior change and we really, we really need a team yep. that supports the journey and and in the long run. Yep. And, you, and you've done a really beautiful job at building that out. I know you're an inspiration to a lot of us because you've manifested your vision in such a lovely way. Well, thank um, you. So yeah. that's really, uh, at the end of the day, do what you need, what, do what you can to ensure the success of your patients. And that's all that you need, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, okay, folks, thank you again for joining us for this a fabulous episode of New Frontiers. You will find the abstracts. You'll find um, Dr. Blum's links and information about her uh, newest book uh, and, uh, you know, anything else you want on, um, on the website when we release this. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you, Kara. All right. Have Take a great care. day. Thank you.